Sosa looking for his first hit, a runner at first base, two out. That is the line single to left. Holy cow, listen to the crowd. One of the best and one of the most beloved players in White Sox history. A groundbreaking, trailblazing pioneer in the sport. Minnie Minoso has reached the mountaintop of Major League Baseball. He is finally headed to the Hall of Fame. Hey everyone, it's Chuck Arfine. Welcome to this special edition of the White Sox Talk podcast brought to you by Wintrust. It took years, it took decades, and finally a 16-person Golden Days era committee to get Minnie Minoso into the Hall of Fame. He was the first black player in White Sox history, the first black Cuban player in Major League history, and one of the best players in all of baseball from 1951 to 1961. And on the podcast, we're going to hear from some people who knew Minnie Minoso the best. His son, Charlie Rice Minoso, his widow, Sharon Rice Minoso, and then I call up Bill Melton, a longtime friend of Minnie's. He's going to share his thoughts on Minnie Minoso, as well as two of his former White Sox teammates, Dick Allen, who missed the Hall of Fame by one vote, and Jim Cott, who won 20 games for the White Sox in 1975 and 1976. He will join Minnie Minoso this summer in Cooperstown. But first, it's all about Minnie. Hall of Famer Minnie Minoso. He's finally in. It's coming your way. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With White Sox checking, you'll score a Sox debit card. Plus, you'll get a special offer when you open online today at wintrust.com slash Sox Talk. $100 required to open. White Sox. Go, go, White Sox. That ball hit deep way back. has put the White Sox ahead. Jimenez leaves the ballpark. You can put it on the board. Yes! we got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax, and strap it down. It's time for the White Sox Talk Podcast. Well, Charlie, your thoughts, knowing your dad is going into the Hall of Fame. Honestly, leading up to the, <laughs> leading up to today, the whole family was cautiously optimistic. However, you know we've been here before and um, didn't have <laughs> the news that we had today. And so, we're, while we are extremely excited and, and very honored of this uh, recognition of Dad's various contributions, uh, it, it is very bittersweet because you know we we, we really w- wish he would have been here to enjoy it. But uh, regardless, you know, we are very uh, happy that his uh, contributions to 
to baseball, to um, you know America's pastime, to the city of Chicago, to the uh, Black and Afro Latino communities are being recognized in this way. So we are we are very uh, honored and humbled. All right. So what were you doing when the announcement? came was it an announcement that's how you found out or did someone call you i'm not sure how it goes along with you know family members um so uh we were we were home it was just my my mom my boyfriend and i and and uh you know we uh we were made aware and we are here at slugger celebrating <laughs> uh my 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 dad has been friends with the strauss family for over 50 years he honestly had he if he were still with us he'd be tearing up that kitchen celebrating because he never knew how to cook for like two or three people it'd always be for like a rocambollo you know it's like you know it's just for a few folks a few folks meeting 30 40 you know so he'd, he'd be he'd be here celebrating with us cooking everything you can think of into the wee hours of the morning so that's so uh so we're, we're happy to be here and celebrating and uh and just you know with our with our friends and loved ones uh just happy for, for her dad's recognition yeah people might be thinking wait sluggers that's a wrigley bar but he lived near here he did a lot of stuff obviously on the south side but uh, you walk into sluggers and there's this amazing mural of your dad and all these photographs about his career so when you see that and you come in here do you feel like you're feeling him you're around him he's around you absolutely dad was uh <laughs> dad was a staple here because again he was <laughs> Friend, the the Strausses are our our extended family, and uh, we've traveled internationally with them. And um, Dad would there would be those days where Mom would be like, uh, there, "My parents, uh, my my family didn't live far from here, and so there'd be those days where uh, you know Dad might be, you know." Um, Actually, I remember like like the, my parents would have come back from the White House or or from some some you know some some larger than life event or some function function or, or honor that Dad received, and then he'd just be like, you know, I just I just want to cook something, you know, I, I, and Mom would just be like, the house is clean, maybe run by sluggers, they got a they got a full on kitchen you could use. Oh, so he would just go in the kitchen here. A absolutely, because Dad loved to cook. I mean, you know, like Latinos, we we show our love through food, and that's one of the ways that he would do that. So he would he would make enough, you know, oxtails, arrocompollo for for everybody who who came by. That was just his thing. But um, but but regardless, it's 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 still great to to see that there's still those uh, that human connection and that that individual connection that Dad would have with 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 anyone he encountered is still alive and well. And, and it's, and you know, it's, it's, it's hard for him to not be here and for us to not celebrate with him. However, hearing these great stories of, you know, what he, what he meant to people and all, all across the country and especially here in Chicago, it's, it means a lot. And it, and it, it lets us know that he's, he's not with us anymore, but he's not gone. And so that's, it's definitely been, uh, it's definitely been comforting so many most people then never got a chance to see him play and only hear stories about him what kind of stories did you learn about your dad from his playing days um god i, I feel like that's a great question i it's kind of hard because he, at the end of the day he's still just dad he's he's the he's the person who you know i like i said i would i'd i'd have to I'd be in the I'd be in the middle of those like do we need a like those those little discussions at home of like 
but I just want to cook a little something. It's like, but the, but the house has been a mess for two days because you made so much food. Like, that's my dad, you know? That's, that's, that's what I remember of him. And so, but when it comes to playing, I, I'd say it's, it's a little... Um, I, it's hard because my he, he played so 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 long before I was born, so I don't I don't quite have some of those um, anecdotes. Um, Did he ever tell stories about what it was like to be a black player, a Latin player, not knowing the language and what he the barriers he went through and how he came to be the player that he was? Uh, yeah. So so actually, in that regard, he. Um, there, I, I, I will say that when um, when I was very when I was very young, uh, I, I do remember going to to a function and hearing about this um, over the years of of how uh, Dad encountered a uh, a white pitcher that he played with in you know the forties and fifties, and uh, he almost like broke down in front of Dad and said, like, "I'm I'm very sorry of how I treated you, of how." of what I said, of what I did, of how I, how I was out to harm you, cause physical harm and, and, and hurt you while we were on the field. Can you ever forgive me? And dad was just smiled and said, you know, that's, we're all human. We're all learning. We're all improving <laughs> with time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he forgave this person. And I, I think that's a, it was a very big thing of him to do. And I don't know if we've, I, yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> I don't know if that's something we, you know, we all as people are capable of, and to, and to think of the fact that Dad knew if I just make it through this game, if I just make it through this season, if I, you know, just if I just summon all the grace that I can right now, recognizing that it, it, it's it's not just about that one game, that one moment, but recognizing that it will permeate throughout the throughout the league, it'll permeate throughout whatever city, whatever market they were in, and throughout the country, and that it actually made an impact that, you know, he couldn't be intimidated if someone was uh, threatening his life, if someone was uh, calling him hateful racial terms. And, and oftentimes when he first came here, he didn't, even have, he didn't even understand the language and really understood what was being said, said to him or about him. But he still uh, recognized that if I can overcome this, it will, it will send a specific type of message. And also, it will make things better for the next player behind me and the next player behind him, and so on and so forth. And recognizing that uh, baseball is our—it's part of our—it's uh, part of our culture, and that it has that ripple effect into um, the rest of our uh, the rest of society. For him to have that foresight and that forethought back then, it, it still amazes me that you know the. The guy that I would, you know, try and make sure we uh, we were, we had the the dog walking schedule aligned. <laughs> it's still amazing to think of that that was uh, that that was the same person because he was just he was just dad and he was he was great. He was hit by a lot of pitchers, and that's what you're alluding to. I mean, he led the league in getting hit by pitches. You know, for like ten out of eleven years, he did kind of crowd the plate, but there was a lot of animosity because of the color of his skin and that had played a big part of it and you were talking about it. So um, it's amazing that it got to this point, but before he passed away, how much would it have meant to him to get into Cooperstown? 
and to know that he did it. it I, I feel it would have meant a lot while he was living. However, like I said earlier, he might not be with us, but he's not gone. I mean, the... You know, the legacy that he leaves behind and, and um, you know, I, I, I see it like you said on, on on the walls on the north side of, you know, one of the, you know, the most popular boy, bar in Wrigleyville. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I see it with my nieces and nephews and, and with the organizations and the nonprofits that Chicago White Sox Charity supports and and that he's uh, been involved in and, and just just the, the energy that he that he he leaves it, it, he had this rip, ripple effect it was it's so strange i don't even have words to describe it and um, but but to know that that is still behind and that that is um you know that, that he still left his mark in that way and that's that means a lot and so uh, knowing that this is an addition to the mark that he's leaving behind is um you know, it's it's bittersweet, but you know, again, we're we're very uh, we're very honored and we're very humbled by by today's announcement. In a way, you're like a bridge to your dad. In that, you know, I never got to see him play, but I'm guessing you've had a lot of older White Sox fans come up to you over the years who did see him play. What do they say about your dad and the player that he was? Uh, true, I, I I would hear you know many great stories from. From you know those that are still around that that saw him play and that saw what he did professionally, but I would say the the bridge, the the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. of of Dad's career from then to now is my brother Orestes, who actually you know not only traveled with him, stayed in segregated hotels with him, and and you know he he you know grew up with command of both English and Spanish. So he, he understood the, the hate that was being spewed at our father during those times. But, but um, he also played with dad side by side in Mexico. And he, he actually talked about it in uh, USA Today uh, op-ed uh, yesterday. And he, um, he, he, he described how dad was you know, the most dedicated ball player he'd ever seen, how he would stay, he would be the first <laughs> player to, to be on the field. And he was that dedicated. He'd be the last one to leave mm-hmm. because he was signing autograph after autograph. He was taking picture after picture, uh, reassembling cracked baseball bats, and then give, giving them to kids because he reassembled them by hand because he just he he cared so much about you know what what that game, what that team, what the organization meant to so many people. He understood that and he recognized that and he wanted to do the best that he could as an ambassador for so many different communities, for so many different organizations and teams. And, and, and I, it, I, I feel like, um, I feel like my, 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 again, my, my brother's recollections were, were those, um, uh, were, were, again, the most comprehensive. And um, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to sort of hear from from you know the the city from from fans and also from from my family on what that was like. Have you gone to the place of you're going to be going to Cooperstown this summer as your dad gets inducted? I haven't been yet, but I'm <laughs> excited to go. And um, again, bittersweet because at the end of the day, that's it's, it's uh, not an announcement that I ever really wanted to 
<laughs> to be delivering. I think that's something I'd prefer for my father or my brother to do. But are you going to give the speech you're saying? I just to be there in general, to be there without my father is just is just going to be bittersweet mm-hmm. um, because he gave his life to baseball and and you know Mr. White Sox gave his life to the organization, and so um, I just wish. Uh, I just wish that he were, he were the one that, that would be there to see it and celebrate. All right, Sharon Rice-Minoso, your thoughts knowing that Minnie is going to Cooperstown? Very proud, excited, and it does bring, we do miss him very much. That, that comes to light. And I, ecstatic, I wish he was here, of course, but um, it's... It's well-deserved at this time. Was he talking much about the Hall of Fame getting in before he passed? No, Minnie was very humble that way. All of the times that he was up 16 times, at times it was like, uh, maybe, maybe not. He, took a, he was very humble with it. He didn't really count on any, any of it. Uh, and some of the times we were cautiously optimistic. Um, a few times... I think it was 2013 that he missed it just by a couple of votes. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> when you remember what he brought to the game, right? What did he, how did he change the game? I think, I, I think many had such an enthusiasm. Many felt privileged to be a professional athlete. He thought it was the best job in the whole world, and he was always excited. And he also thought the fans, and I never realized this, they were the customers, but it, he would always say, if there's no fans, I don't play. So when, when a fan would stop him, he's like, I'm honored they remember me. I'm happy they can tell me um, they saw me play or they remembered me. He thought it was just spectacular that they did. Did he used to tell stories about what it was like to be uh, a Latin player, not knowing the language, the English language, and finding ways to play especially with the racism that was going around. There was the, obviously the color barrier, language barrier, what he was up against, and yet he still performed at such a, an elite level. I, Minnie was a positive person, and, and truthfully, he was very cautious because he didn't want to offend the players, the press, the, the team he was with. So Minnie, Minnie was really street smart and people smart, so he studied a lot of that, and he never, he always, wanted to do the right thing all his life many always wanted to do the right thing treat people the right way so he I, I know I've heard stories before how how he was like well I didn't tell them I didn't think that was the right word because it definitely wasn't whether it was um, 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 call, just the wrong word say that <laughs> i don't want to get into it so yeah. well you got some phone calls today to congratulate who reached out to you um the hall of fame first of all which was very exciting and they were very po- positive and um also uh jerry reinsdorf he was so wonderful he, he was excited as we were and he's always been very positive many and him were just the 
they respected one another so much and really a love for one another. They they really enjoyed each other's company. So Jerry, it was really an honor to hear Jerry talk about how excited he was, how well-deserved, and that warmed my heart. And also um, Ron Kittle had called, and we have lots of family and friends, of course, that have called. So it's been it's been heartwarming again too bittersweet but let, we'll we'll stay for the ex, being excited at this time what did many love about baseball I think everything about it. Many loved baseball. When you talked about it, or or if you heard if you heard him advise other people, um, whether it whether it was the child that's playing in the little league or minor league, many many was, had such a good eye for it. I remember sitting behind the stands, and many would see someone pitching. It's like. What do you know about pitching? You're, that's not your forte. And he just knew. He just knew. He, he loved everything about it. I think many, too, studied things, too. He, was, he really looked at the, the plays, the, the um, ability of what the athlete, or even the manager in, in the way they managed the team. I, it was amazing to me that, that he could be... Um, retired from the game, but yet he was so aware of it. It, it. it just surprised me how much he was so in tune to it. That's a skill, and that's a, that's a passion that he had for playing baseball. Was there a part of you that was worried, what if he just never gets in? Minnie had a good life. He was happy with his life. He loved being a baseball player. He loved my son and I and and his other children many was a happy person he it didn't it didn't make or break him he loved his life he thought he thought he had a wonderful life which I like to think he did um, it wasn't it wasn't going to reflect good or bad I know he would have been proud and humble but um, I still think he was very happy with his life here and it was Hall of Famers who voted for him to get in. It was uh, a few media members, front office members in this committee. But how much did fans, you think, have to do with lifting up Minnie Minoso, the love that they gave him to have him reach this point and get into Cooperstown? Do you think any, there was a fan element to this at all? Oh, absolutely. I, when I look at all of the responses and feedback and uh, media, I think nobody had anything negative to say about Minnie. They may say, well, Minnie was in, but so should so-and-so, but that's natural. I think the fans really loved Minnie and appreciated him, and they were very positive um, um, in saying Minnie should be in the Hall of Fame. How does that sound, by the way? Minnie Minoso, Hall of Famer. I'm very proud. I, uh, bittersweet again. again uh, uh, my son and I were saying, wish he was here, but I still think he knows. Still think he knows. But Somewhere, wherever he is, he knows. Yes, yes, yes. And, and he deserves it. He's left behind a legend. And, and he made, I, I told someone, I think he made history in a good, in a good positive way. How did he do that? 
Um, being, being, representing baseball the way he did, being a first of many between all of his first, the, being um, a trailblazer, mentoring, mentoring. Um, he did so. He did so much for for baseball in itself. All right, Bill Melton, you are like the perfect person to talk to because you knew Minnie, you knew Dick, you played with. Not only Dick Allen, you played with Jim Cott. He got in. So let's start with Minnie. What does this mean? Obviously, Minnie Minoso, when he was alive, he wanted to get to Cooperstown. It's a tragedy. It didn't happen when he was alive. But yeah. what does it mean that he gets in finally? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the criteria is now. They have different election periods. I think this is golden something. Uh, I'm not really sure. But Minnie certainly had an impact in the game. And when I went to, was traded to the Angels, many became the first base coach or was the first base coach uh, with the White Sox. But, of course, when I went back to Chicago to work at NBC and stuff like that, I saw many all the time. And uh, many was a beloved figure in the city. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in the front office loved being around many. Always had a smile. Uh, you know, he's just a very outgoing person and uh, simply beloved in the city of Chicago. And when they have the moniker, he was the Latin Jackie Robinson. Like, that alone should get him in. It took so long for it to happen. What do you think it means for the family and for the White Sox in general uh, that Minnie got in? Well, I think it means a lot to the family. It also means an awful lot to the Chicago White Sox to have players that have taken so long to be put in to the Hall of Fame, whether it's the Negro Hall of Fame or this Hall of Fame. They should all go into just one Hall of Fame is the way I look at it. Uh, but, you know, many gave a lot to the city. I, I I know many for all the things he did working with me and stuff like that and how people approached him at Sox Fest. And, you know, he always had a smile, always had nice things to say about everybody. I don't think he was ever in a bad mood. <laughs> so, but uh, I just remember a little bit of many uh, being a first base coach uh, when I came in with the Angels. Otherwise than that, he, he, I was around him all the time. We both did the same things. You know, we went into all the suites and stuff. And, you know, many, we used to pick on him because we always had to put him at the end of the line uh, when we were signing autographs like at Sox Fest. There'd be like five of us in a row. And so when many was at the, at the first table and the first chair, would take forever for the number five guy, which might have been me, to sign an autograph. He spent more time talking to people, <laughs> telling them stories and stuff. We kept many, many. You gotta, we gotta sign these things. Push them down. So, uh, anyway, just a, a wonderful human being. Always, always with a smile. Always with nice things to say. And uh, you know, great for the Latin community, but really good for the Chicago White Sox. There's fewer and fewer people who are alive who got to see him play, you know, and yeah. and that's part of the reason why I think it took so long, because you look at his numbers and they're not 3000 hits. They're not, you know, a 300 plus batting average. And then he came back in 1976 and 1980 through right. uh, they were publicity stunts. Do you think that had something to do with the fact that he wasn't going to get in because it was almost like he was a novelty act at the end, even though he was so much more than that. Well, I mean, novelty act or not, you're going to be a pretty good ball player to hang around an organization. Uh, in how many generations did he play? He stuck around for five generations or something, four or five. I don't, I don't 
you know, judge a person by the fact they want to accomplish something or reach some goal. Uh, that's something that maybe he always wanted to do after he got in his third or fourth generation and he became a coach. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's just trying to achieve a lot of things. Most importantly, I think it was just to stay around the game. Mm. I mean, he just loved being in a clubhouse. He just he loved people. It's pretty hard for a man like that that's been around the city so much and so many friends and came to the ballpark so often, signing autographs, going into suites to give it up. Uh, you know, he's stay until you can't breathe, I guess. And I try to put myself in his shoes, okay? Yeah. Didn't speak the language, was a, you know, broke down color barriers as the first black Latin to play in the game. And because of the color of his skin, he couldn't start playing in the majors until he was 25. Yeah. I mean, imagine if that was your situation. I mean, where you, you couldn't even get to the major leagues just because of the color of your skin. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that was the criteria in those days. There were so many good athletes. Uh, I, I don't know what the political part of it or what, what was going on in the 50s and 60s, but uh, they integrated, you know, had trouble bringing Cuban players into the United States. And you know, there was a lot of obstacles. I don't know what they were. I never really paid a whole lot of attention. All I know is they were teammates and friends. And, uh, you know, look at look at the Latin players today, how good they are. Uh, it's just, you know, there's a talent pool over there that uh, might have been tapped in a lot earlier in many Minoso and the rest of them. Uh, but now that's uh, kind of where we go get a lot of our great players coming out of uh, Cuba and the Latin countries, Venezuela, et cetera. You know, Louis Aparicio, we can go on and on uh, with what contribution all those players have made to this country and this game. So one guy who does not get in is your former teammate, Dick yeah. Allen. He was one vote shy of getting in. I mean, you played with him. There was, uh, I guess he's misunderstood, kind of like many in a way, for different reasons. What's prevented him from getting into the Hall of Fame? I think whatever he did in Philadelphia prevented it. When he came to the White Sox, he was a completely different person. We had heard some stuff about in Philly where – you know, he turned his back on the fans. They booed him all the time. I understand that as a as a player that's been booed quite a bit once in a while towards the end of my career. But Dick just never he, – he was a man's man. You know, that's the best guy to interview for Dick Allen is a guy by the name of Rich Gossage. He turned Rich Gossage into the Hall of Fame pitcher that he is by sitting him down one day and saying, you got to start jamming these guys and brushing them off the plate. Well – Look what happened. Dick always had great ideas. He was great in the clubhouse. You know what the difference was when he left Philly? Mike Schmidt's been pushing for him to get in the Hall of Fame forever. That's what kind of teammate he was. He was a great teammate. Now, the fans didn't like him. The city didn't like him. The press didn't like him. The more they disliked him, the more he ignored him. Uh, when he came to us, uh, he came because Chuck Tanner was a good friend of his mother's. Uh, Chuck knew him really well, so he decided to sign with the White Sox. He was a completely different person. He was he enjoyed coming to the clubhouse. Uh, a lot of the stories about him were basically untrue. A lot of them in Chicago when they said, "Well, is it, you know, is it the racetrack, Hawthorne Park, and something?" He's out there, you know, betting and gambling. He wasn't. He had a horse ranch in Philadelphia. Him and his brothers. They. They, they worked with a lot of horses and stuff. He used to love to be around horses and sleep with them in the barn. I mean, just odd stuff. Just like in Philly, he used to sit in front of the liquor stores and drink wine. But uh, now in California, when he moved out here, his wife did, uh, you know, he loved going to Santa Anita Racetrack. He just, 
he'd, he'd stay in the stalls with the horses. He didn't bet. He just, you know, he, he might have put five bucks on something, but he loved horses. And he, he loved. He's misunderstood a lot. Yeah, I mean, and he loved playing with the White Sox. Oh, yeah. How great of a hitter, how intimidating of a hitter was he? Well, I don't know if he was intimidating. I hit behind him for about three years. It's just, uh, I think the only compliment he paid me, because at that time I was having pretty good years, is the fact he wasn't walking as much. He had a chance to, to swing the bat. He did so many things that we sit there in awe that we went. I remember Sparky Lyle, the great reliever, the left-hander. Dick was going to, supposed to get the day off. And uh, so Chuck Tanner told him to go in the clubhouse and, I don't want to see you, blah, blah, blah. Well, it comes into the ninth inning, you know, and we need, we're down by a run with a man on first base. He brings, he goes in, he sends somebody in to get Dick and say, Dick, uh, Chuck's going to need you. So he was eating a taco, so he put his shirt on, stuff like that. He ran out, flung that big 40-ounce bat. Uh, that was his really signature was the weight of his bat, 40 and three-quarter ounces. Nobody swung that. Willie Starzo, give an example, 36 ounces. Dick Allen, 40 and three-quarter ounce bats. Anyway, he came to the playoff of Sparky Lyle, who's one of the top relievers in the game. First pitch, left field, upper deck in the old Comiskey Park. Now, if you calculate that compared to not this one, but when they moved home, played up 10 feet, this was 10 feet back, and he hit it the upper deck and left center. I want to say easily 500 feet. I think I, I, but he never, he never bragged about stuff like that. What he said the most when he came in the dugout was he wanted to knock the shortstop over. That would make him exciting. That would excite him as to drive a baseball through a third baseman or a one hopper to a shortstop that spun him out in the left field. That's what he called hitting. And by the way, yeah, I know. But by the way, you're talking about not just any other game. That was, okay, I have it all here in front of me. It was June 4th, 1972 when he hit that home run. It was bat day. There were 51,000 fans at Comiskey Park. That was game two of a doubleheader. And the Sox were down 4-2. to You got a a walk in that inning. Do you remember drawing a walk and scoring on the home run? Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, Dick wasn't really, he was in there eating a taco. Because Chuck said, you're not playing the second game because it was, you played enough, blah, blah, blah. So make a long story. So these are the feats that he did. Uh, I also can give one that, that stands out in my mind more than anything. Not so much of how many times he knocked third baseman's. Every one of them had to play him on the grass. And, you know, Dick ran really well. So he got a lot of. Uh, infield hits because those guys were playing like in short left field like a shortstop would be out there for him because you know he wasn't going to bunt but I remember uh, one day you know he never took batting practice people couldn't understand it he didn't need it didn't want it didn't do it just like he didn't come to spring training didn't want it didn't do it because of the problems he had and you know when he was with uh, the Phillies, you know, playing in Florida, and the Negroes weren't accepted all over the place. You know, it was tough times in the 60s. So Dick never went to spring training because of that, and only because of that. But I, I can never forget when we, uh, you know, the one time that we went out and take batting practice in about a month or two into the season, all of a sudden he comes walking out of the dugout with a bat for batting practice. And we like Pat Kelly and George Orr, and I, we were sitting there laughing. So what is this? And he'd be laughing on the way out. And he got in the left-handed batter's box, 
and started hitting home runs. And we went, wait a minute. Are we, are we watching the right thing here? He was hitting home runs left-handed. Amazing. So, yeah, he came the, the things he did, he did for humor and laugh. But to us, it was like, how can somebody do that? If the game is not that easy to come out and hit left-handed and hit home runs. Crazy. You, a lot you, of unique things. You asked me, or actually you brought up Goose Gossage, that you know you should talk yeah. to Goose. And so I, I actually talked to you right after Dick passed away. You said you should talk to Goose Gossage. And I did, and Goose came on the podcast a year ago. Definitely listen to it, everyone, because what Goose said was there shouldn't even be a Hall of Fame if Dick Allen isn't in it. And just as someone who played with him, what would it mean for the family uh, for the Dick Allen think, uh, family yeah. for him to get in? I think now that he's passed, they, they miss that opportunity. Dick, uh, would have, you know, he keeps saying, I don't need to, I don't worry about it, I don't do that. I think it would have been a nice honor for him, but I think with the family, it's still a big honor even though he's gone. I think Goose feels the same way that, you know, if, if Dick's gone, how about his family? They want to be, you know, they were proud of their dad. Now they can say, hey, my dad's in the Hall of Fame. So it would still mean an awful lot, even though, uh, you know, Dick is gone. And, and Goose, like I said, really admired Dick Allen. And we're, they were basically pretty good friends because Dick would, you know, help Goose on the mound and stuff like that and then watch all these feats that he did. And Goose couldn't understand why Dick Allen is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you talk to Reggie Jackson. How come Dick Allen's not in the Hall of Fame? There's all the players that played against him, Mike Schmidt, all of them, his teammates, can't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame. But back to your question, I think it's really important for his family. Uh, you know, Dick kind of pushed it off, but I think his family would have accepted it. And now it's just another dagger where they have to, I don't know if he uh, comes up again, but just to miss by one point, how much can you dislike a guy as a writer? Yeah, well, these were because he doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I think I mean most of the committee that voted. This was uh, sixteen people, uh, hall, you know, Hall of Famers, some writers, executives. You know, Joe okay. Torre was a part of uh, the group. John Shoreholtz, but uh, even still, one vote shy. And Mike Schmidt, by the way, was in that committee. So you know that Schmidt was doing yeah. everything he could to try to get Dak Allen in. One guy who did get in, Jim Cott. Former teammate of yours, 1974, 1975, yeah. very quietly, 20-game winner both seasons with the White Sox. What kind of pitcher was Jim Cott? I mean, 16 gold gloves? Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, I faced him. I want to take that. I, I faced him a lot of times in Minnesota. He was tough, big curveball, tough to hit. What I liked about Jim Cott as a person, he's an outstanding individual. Became a broadcaster with the Yankees. <clears throat> spent a lot of time with the New York Yankees. You know what? If I have to say there's a player that's beloved around the league and liked it'd be Jim Cott, I can't think of one person that doesn't like Jim Cott. Boy, as a teammate, he was he was great. Now, I'd be sitting in my uh, cubicle, and I'd be having a tough time, a tough series somewhere, and he'd come up and pat me on the back and say, hey, I'm taking you out to dinner. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. He's a veteran. I'm... I've been there for a couple of years, but he, he's the type of guy that reaches out for everybody. And I can't think of one teammate that's ever played with Jim Cott that didn't think he was just a terrific human being. So this is really important, even though Dick didn't make it. It's good to see Jim Cott 
made it because this guy was great in baseball, a great announcer, an outstanding pitcher, and the gold gloves add him up. There's nothing. This guy couldn't miss, didn't miss. I played third base behind him, and he didn't miss anything. I didn't have to go to my left. <laughs> Scott was there. So I just, I told uh, Bucky Dent, I said, that, well, why don't we just play on the grass? Let, you know, let Jim, yeah, he was, he'd have fun on the mound, too. I keep remembering that. He'd smile. Somebody'd get a line drive base hit, and he'd call me the mound saying, uh, next hitter's right handed. Don't play so shallow. You might get hurt. <laughs> you know, all the fun things was Jim Cott. And 283 wins, not too shabby yeah. either. No, it's just, it was a, a great team. Like I said, a great teammate, a great ball player. He was great for baseball. He did a terrific job in New York. He was beloved there up in the booth. I'm glad Jim Cott got in. I'm disappointed. Uh, Dick Allen's always coming up one short. Great catching up with you, Bill. I miss you, and uh, I'll, I'll see you in Arizona when I'm out there for spring training. Hopefully there's going to be a spring training. I know there will be, but it's just like... Yeah, we're, I talked we're... to Jerry. I was with Reinsdorf and Kittle and all of them yesterday having lunch down here in Paradise Valley, but I asked them the same thing. I said, the thing I miss is, no, you have no socks fest. <laughs> you know, I can't even go to spring training games, blah, 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 blah. But he sounded pretty optimistic that they're working on the strike issue and that will probably be solved he doesn't think there'll be any uh long delay if any but you know they're always they're always sitting there trying to figure out what they can do to to get us back on the field and you know i'd like to go to spring training and watch some games and see stuff are more of the white Sox talk podcast on the way but first a quick timeout. as a professional welder shana ford uses forge fx to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know that 80% of the grass-fed beef sold in the U.S. is imported from overseas? Uh, that's why I get my meat from GoodRanchers.com. When you buy Good Ranchers, not only are you getting amazing meat, but you're also supporting American farms. GoodRanchers.com safely delivers American craft beef, better than organic chicken, and more. I deliver it quickly and safely to your door. Don't play the grocery store guessing game. Know where your meat comes from with GoodRanchers.com. Go to GoodRanchers.com and use the code CHICAGO for $20 off and free express shipping. All right, uh, a little scoop there from Bill. We saw Jerry Reinsdorf over the weekend. Let's hope the lockout ends soon, and certainly without any delays in the regular season or spring training. I'm being greedy. I want this thing done in a month. January 5th. <laughs> Let's end this thing. We'll see. But, you know, it's a reminder that there's the part of the game that the kid in us always tries to ignore that even though baseball is a sport 
and it's a game. It is also a business. But certainly not what drew us to the game in the first place. You know what did? Or should I say, who did? People like Minnie Minoso. How great of a player was Minnie? All right, here's this. From 1951 to 1960, Minoso batted 307 with a 397 on base percentage. Over that stretch, only Mickey Mantle scored more runs. Only Mantle and Yogi Berra had more RBIs. Only Louis Aparicio stole more bases, just one more. Only Nellie Fox had more hits. All of those guys are Hall of Famers. Many hit more doubles than any of them. Now Minnie's in the Hall of Fame. I did a podcast with Chris Kampka a few weeks ago, episode 623, entitled Why Minnie Minoso Belongs in the Hall of Fame. We dug into all the stats, explaining why he belonged in Cooperstown. And one thing I brought up, and it's something that I just can't get away from, and it says it all to me. Minnie Minoso couldn't begin his major league career until he was 25 only because of the color of his skin. Since Mickey Mantle was white, he broke into the majors with the Yankees when he was 19. Al Kaline was 18. Yogi Berra was 21. The list of white players like that goes on and on and on. Minoso didn't have the jaw-dropping career stats because he wasn't given the opportunity because he was black. Add the fact that he didn't speak the language and was dealing with flat-out racism everywhere he went, both on the field and off of it. Why baseball writers kept missing this or ignoring it year after year, I don't know why. But finally in 2021, Minnie is in the Hall of Fame. All right, one more guest on the podcast. I spoke with Shakia Taylor a baseball writer who has written for Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, MLB.com, and more. Uh, she was there at the Mini Minoso celebration that was going on at Sluggers on Sunday. How funny is that? Mini spent all that time hanging out at Sluggers, a Cubs bar right across the street from Wrigley Field. And if you think, well, what's he doing in a Cubs bar? Well, there is a huge mural of Minnie right there in the middle of the bar, surrounded by some of the best photos of him throughout his career and his life. Around the corner, inside the bar, there's this huge baseball sign on the wall with Minnie's name on it. Above that, a giant pennant that says six decades. Because he came back and he played a few games in 1976, again in 1980 when he was 54, the podcast began with that audio clip of Harry Carey calling the base hit by Minnie. That was when he was 50 in 1976, got a base hit against the Angels at Comiskey Park. All this love for Minnie, right there in the heart of Wrigleyville. White Sox, Cubs, in the end, seriously, in the end, it doesn't matter. We're all Chicagoans. And everyone, everyone should love Minnie Minoso. All right, here's Shakia. What kind of impact, first culturally, did Minnie make? 
Minnie is considered to be the Jackie Robinson of Latino players, and I think it's a really understated fact about him, not just because of his longevity, but his importance to both African Americans and Latino players um, just here in the U.S. and internationally. Um, I don't think we get enough stories about Minnie. I don't think uh, we celebrated him enough previously. I think it was just situational awareness where here in Chicago, he was loved, beloved. You know, he was almost like a, a mascot for the White Sox in a sense. Um, just culturally a giant, an icon. And you see young players of today that, you know, Jose Abreu, for one, looks at him as if he's like a baseball god. Mm -hmm. And guys from the past, Orlando Cepeda, they just said he was like the Jackie Robinson for Latinos. Uh, why did he mean so much? Why does he mean so much to those players of generations that have come after him? I mean, the baseball numbers speak for himself. Like, when you look back at Minnie's contributions just to the sport as far as playing the game alone, I mean, he was a hitter, you know, he got on base, and um, there was once a story in the Chicago Defender of how Minnie was so beloved that he was hit by a pitch and fans were gonna rush the field. Like, that is just a small, you know, part of his importance. And I think for players, you need someone to come before for you. We know the, you know, the sordid history of Major League Baseball and reintegration. And, you know, it took a long time for every team to even integrate after Jackie Robinson debuted. And Minnie is one of those guys to break that barrier on a team. You looked at his stats and if you just at, at, with one blush, which is was what people did for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, he didn't have 3,000 hits. Oh, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. That's why he didn't get in, I think, for the most part. But there's a lot more than what meets the eye. Would you agree with many statistics? I can't say the word. Statistically. Oh, absolutely. I think part of the reason why he was overlooked for so long is that it took a long time for most of the country to catch up to the fact with the Negro Leagues were and are important. And, um, you know, seeing them now as major leagues has kind of helped other people bring them into a new light. And what has his impact been for the White Sox? I think Manny's impact for the White Sox is huge. Um, I think it's become a place where players of color want to go because Minnie was there. I mean, the White Sox present day are a pretty, you know, diverse squad of guys. And some of them are, you know, they're, they're a little darker. And I think that's great. I think that speaks to Minnie's representation. I think the White Sox have done a great job in keeping Minnie on our minds and honoring him whenever they can. Um, his importance, I think, on the South Side is they, they do what needs to be done when it comes to letting us know how much he meant to them. What does it mean to you, Hall of Famer, Minnie Minoso? <laughs> um, it means a lot. As not just a writer, but a black baseball fan, um, it, it says it's it's righting a wrong. You know, um, we can't go back in time. Uh, we can't change things. But I think for me, it's nice that this happened. It happened right now. It happened, you know, in this day and age where we see like our icons matter. Um, Minnie is important. I won't say was important because he'll continue to be important to me and I think other people as well, but particularly African-American fans and Latino fans. Well, certainly an exciting day for Minnie Minoso's family and 
all of his fans and all of you listening. Uh, Personally speaking, he was one of my dad's favorite players growing up. I wish my dad was still around because I would have called him up to let him know that Minnie's going to the Hall of Fame and also to get some stories about Minnie. He was right in my dad's wheelhouse. Played for the White Sox when he was a teenager. From the start, I guess he was like seven years old when he was a rookie and he played all the way until he was out of high school. Uh, I saw Minnie at the ballpark a whole bunch of times. Had a few conversations with him. Even tried interviewing him a few times. He was always so nice, so gracious. And one thing that I take away from just being around him, he didn't see color. He didn't see gender. He didn't care how old you were. He didn't care if you were a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan or a Yankees fan or if you liked baseball or not. When he saw you and looked at you, he saw a person. He saw a human being. And considering what he had to deal with in his journey through life and through baseball, that says something about Minnie Minoso. And my colleague Jeff Corbett, a longtime photographer at NBC, was, was with me Sunday night at the bar shooting those interviews. Uh, and he recalled something that Minnie said near the end of his life. Uh, Jeff thinks it might have been during his final appearance with the media. Uh, Minnie was asked if he was upset that he hadn't made the Hall of Fame. And Minnie's answer summed up who Minnie was. He said, when I go to the ballpark and I sit in the stands and I hear people shouting my name, I've got White Sox fans wanting to talk to me, asking for my autograph. That's my Hall of Fame. That's my Hall of Fame. Well, Minnie, wherever you are, the actual Hall of Fame has come calling. Your name will forever be enshrined there among the all-time greats. You had a Hall of Fame baseball career. And while you'll always be in the hearts of baseball fans in Chicago, come July, you'll have a new baseball home in Cooperstown, New York. It's been a long time coming. That's a wrap for this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast, brought to you by Wintrust, your home for White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Go to their special White Sox webpage. It's www.wintrust.com slash Sox. Hawk Harrelson, take it away. Thanks, our Chuck. And this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast is over. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. 
Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows all state to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. All state fire and casualty insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.